Sheathe the fucking steel. Welcome to Dragoncast. Home of House of the Dragon. Gather your small council, send out your ravens and call in your bannermen. I'm Hand of the King Jamie East, here to guide you through the highly anticipated return to Westeros. Hello, hello, and welcome to Dragoncast, home of House of the Dragon. I'm your host and maester of ceremonies, Jamie East. We've got some news a few days ago here on the podcast that made us feel as if all our name days had come at once. After the release of our second episode, we were officially the number one TV and film podcast in the whole of the UK on the Apple charts, which was amazing. Sorry, Commode and Mayo, back the hell off. It looks like your watch has ended, although I would imagine they're already back at number one now. Um, But seriously... It was amazing. We're so delighted that the show's been doing so well and we want to see it long continue. And I guess we can announce now, has the Dragons been renewed for season two? I'm the commissioner of this bloody thing, so I may as well recommission uh, Dragoncast for season two as well. So yes, I've now commissioned us as well. Yeah, but we want to build a real community of fans that love House of the Dragon and love talking about it. And it's been really good to get all the feedback as well. So thank you so much. So if you do like what you hear, please share the podcast on your socials to help us spread the word. If you're watching us on YouTube, hello, please like, subscribe, ring the bell for notifications and all that kind of gubbins as well. And I've also started doing a uh, Twitter Spaces at 10am on a Monday. So if you're one of the uh, the, the eager beavers that does watch at 2am, uh, stick around, maybe, maybe have a nap first and then come back for 10am. And we'll include some of your comments and some of your reactions to the episode within the podcast. We've got a couple of good ones coming up later on. Anyway... Joining me this week to examine some hot D, that is the acronym that George R.R. R. Martin has himself given the show, and we're sticking with it. Would you know what hot a sliding D. of the hot D means, though? I'm not sure George R.R. R. Martin... George, mate, that means dick. I'm just, I don't know if you know that. That means getting a slice of dick, but there we go. Uh, our, as always, journalist, writer, and the crushed velvet glove on the hand of the king, Chris Mandel. Hello. And this week's special guest, Radio 1 presenter, TV presenter, all-round House of the Dragon aficionado and super fan. It's me old mucker, Richie Haywood-Williams. How are you, sir? Hello, mate. How are you both? Good to see you. Really good. Good to see you too. Good to see you too. Let's get into it. Yes. I don't want to bring a down onto things, but we're already a fifth of the way through the season, which feels oh, like, it feels like, it feels like, I don't want to rush into things or not, but that's, that's where we are now. Um, so excitement to the premiere is out, is done, done and dusted. We're now, I guess, firmly getting under the fingernails of the, uh, the crooks of what the story is likely to be. People were kind of quite surprised. I guess not, the show's got scale, but the the story feels quite insular, as we discussed last week. It's, you know, it's very much a focus on one family rather than the sprawling kind of kingdoms of Westeros. But I think we, we're getting a glimpse as to as to why that's still going to be still going to be pretty epic. Ricky, your initial reactions from the, from episode two, which was called the Rogue Prince, the Rogue Prince indeed. Uh, Damon Targaryen really kind of letting us know the sort of character that he's going to be, the sort of the sort of things he's going to bring to the table, which is basically just chaos. <laughs> he's just going to bring chaos at every available opportunity. I love the way that Matt Smith plays his character, but but Damon's character seems to be someone that I. Think feel like we're going to really enjoy the journey of there's a lot of flash points in there that he brings um i'm sure we're going to get onto them a little bit later but yeah 
<laughs> stealing a dragon egg. I mean, if you want to cause, if you want to cause a ruckus, go out and steal a dragon's egg, right? Why not do that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bit of, it's a risky one. Chris, what about you? I loved it. I mean, I've said this before, but like my dream episodes are ones where people just sit around discussing like trade channels and then like government. <laughs> and I was like, there's loads of that this episode. It, for most of it, it was quite like, a meeting that could have been an email you know but and then you have this amazing sort of final set piece uh, on Dragonstone with two dragons squaring off and yeah I thought it was great they're really setting up the stakes but I think already the show has like a kind of laser focus that Game of Thrones didn't have where there would be episodes in Game of Thrones where just people walking around like eating bread and you're like what, what what's going on like where, where's this going and at least with house of the dragon i think there's a really good sense that they know what story they're telling so i'm so in um i mean first and foremost let's talk about the new titles don't know why we didn't get them for at one but uh obviously still rendering you know there's still like the pixar village or wherever <laughs> industrial light and magic was still kind of like having to plug in a few more mac pros to get it done um same theme music same use of the sigils, same kind of clockwork-like motion, but obviously Rivers of Blood. It looked fresh. It looked pretty kind of like... Looked, it looked quite modern. Chris, what did you think to the... There's obviously been a decision made whereby it's like, right, let's not fuck about the theme tune. Everyone loves it. Let's yeah. not fuck about with the title sequence. Everyone loves it. Do you think that was a wise move? Well, I think they're going into this whole thing with like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like they're not trying to reinvent the wheel or anything. And I get that. And it's great. Game of Thrones intro is one of the best intros on modern telly, in my opinion. I do think a little bit, I'm like, that's it. Like that's all you came up with. Like the set, it's a, it feels a bit like the day before you're like, you know, your coursework's due in and you're like, oh, I'll just like, copy and paste it off Wikipedia. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's good. And, and you know, I, I'm just, I'm old fashioned like that. I'm like, the intro should be like really exciting and you should love watching it. But I was kind of like, oh, I've seen this like a million times. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't have made a better one. So I'm, I'm not <laughs> taking a pop at anyone. Well, exactly. Maybe they did try and just thought, actually, this is a nightmare. Why don't we just stick with what yeah. we've got? One thing I'm interested in, Ricky, as we know from from Game of Thrones uh, of old, was that the the titles evolved and they followed the kind of storyline and even gave away small clues. Yep. And, and HBO are really good at that. They do that with Westworld as well. I maybe need to watch it a fair few times. I'm sure there's an entire subreddit kicking off about every <laughs> trickle of, of blood. What were your thoughts about it? I, I'm the same as Chris. I think if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. I think they probably did think about changing the titles and just thought, do you know what? We don't need that. We don't need the ag. We don't need the aggro of people kind of like pointing the finger, uh, talking about like some, terrible titles that we've, we've made for the spin-off series so i think it was a great move keep the music we love the music we, it's just iconic isn't it we absolutely love it it would have been horrible if they tried to bring in some new music and it didn't quite hit but i love the blood <laughs> i love the blood it's it's targaryen fire and blood that's what we want that's what we want from the opening yeah. scene so yeah they nailed it for me the one thing i noticed watching it was the the way the blood sort of trickles down there's a couple of points where it sort of branches off and it looks like those red weirwood trees yeah. that uh they kind of have i know like in uh game Ooh. of thrones that's like the old religion and the new religion is like the faith of the seven but i, I think at this point in the show everyone like prays under those weirwood trees and, and that sort of thing and i thought that was kind of interesting this this blood sort of branching out family tree like ancestry like i thought it was kind of a little bit more rustic than the sort of steampunky game of thrones one 
you know, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it kind of trickled around and swallowed up all the other houses. That was what mm. that was the kind of overall message, wasn't it? That nothing could escape uh, yeah. the Targaryen kind of rule. Um, with the music, there was a choir version. I think it's in the it's in the closing titles, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, presumably singing in High Valerian or something. We didn't have that before, did we? That's 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 all new. That's a bit like when Phantom Menace came back and they they had a choir <laughs> singing the Star Wars theme tune. It's um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a sort of a different version or like a co- like a yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to get someone to translate that for us. If you're listening and you speak High Valerian, do please get in touch. <laughs> it might even be Dothrakian. I don't know. Who knows? I would imagine. <laughs> High Valerian. Oh, we had a guy on, we had David Peterson, his name was. We had him on Thronecast like years ago, like in season four. And it was his job. He was the language. He inv- he could like oh, speak yeah. fluent Vulcan and all that kind of stuff. Brilliant. And they hired and they hired him to write language. So he did all the Dornish, all yeah. the High Valerian, all the Dothraki language. And we had him on, uh, we had him on Thronecast, got him on. And he was this lovely fella from America or Canada or America and flown over, especially to be on Thronecast. And like, obviously you get someone on who can write in languages like that. So we had this amazing thing planned where he was just going to like translate things that Rachel and I were saying into <laughs> Dothraki. And we were going to have this whole conversation in Dothraki with <laughs> subtitles underneath it. And he got there and we were about to film and he went, oh, hang on a sec, what's this? And he said, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to say a few things and then you're going to translate it into Dothraki. And, and, and it'll be a bit of fun for the show. And he went, he went, yeah, the problem is it takes me a week to write one line because wow. it's so <laughs> intricate. We were like, oh, fuck. A week? Oh my word. <laughs> yeah. It like took it. It takes him that long because I don't know. Don't know why. And I was kind of like, "Hang on a sec. You invent this language. You made it up. How? Why? Yeah. Can't, surely you can just like knock it out in a few minutes. It's like just just make noise. Just it's just noise. Anyway, I did see an in- sorry, Jim. I did see like an interview a little while back about. Um, I think it was with uh, David Benioff and 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 Weiss, and they were basically saying that on set and you know throughout the the filming of it. I think the actor that plays Grey Worm was the person that was able to deliver the, the language. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was able to deliver the, the language the best out of everyone. Pick it up really quickly and then deliver it really, really well. Oh, man. I hope Grey Worm's all right. I wonder what he's doing there. Um, <laughs> although I did see Gendry pop up on Pieces of Her, a shit-awful Netflix drama that was like, that started off with, with Tony Collette in it, that started off brilliantly and then just like descended into absolute shyness. But Gendry was in there and he was really good. Good to see you, Gendry. <laughs> <laughs> right episode two opened in kind of like different side of game of thrones that we that, we, that i kind of like forgotten about like the gruesome crab feeder and you know if someone said to you right we're gonna have a guy that feeds people to crabs on paper not the most gruesome of sounding of villains sounds a bit scooby-doo <laughs> but actually looked looked kind of great we had a few amputees tied to crosses that were being slowly devoured by kind of like well just crabs really um the crab feed is taking on a bit of mythical status we saw quite orcish in kind of appearance we got a slight glimpse of him there don't really know much about him is he being built up quite a lot is he going to be a, a fearsome foe do you think ricky you're right they are building him up um he sounds like he's here to he means business, basically. He looks amazing. We we see that he, you know, he feeds people to the crabs. I think he he kind of ties them up or chains them up or nails them to a mast. And then the as the tide come in, they kind of like they they drown, don't they? And they get eaten by the crabs afterwards and whatever. Yeah. So pretty gruesome way to kill someone. So I quite like the way that they're building up his character. It looks like he might have grayscale, uh, Chris. What do you think to that? Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like a mask or like a like he's wearing other people's skin or something, but he definitely needs a bit of uh, E45 cream, I think. <laughs> 
Olive Olo. Just to drink a bit more water, like whatever's going on with that. Yeah, he needs he needs to needs a bit of me time with some Avino. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a really it's a very interesting, savage, kind of weird villain. I don't think he'll be around long because I think as we got to the end of the episode, Damon and Corliss seem to be joining together to sort this guy out. But when they said that Game of Thrones was doing this spin-off and they were having this absolutely bonkers budget, I thought it would get spent on dragons. I didn't realise it was also going to get spent on like 30,000 CGI crabs. Um, but credit to them, they were absolutely <laughs> horrifying. And I don't want to ever swim yeah. in the ocean again. So, you know, like they succeeded in that front. <laughs> I don't think he'll be around long because he seems to be there to serve it almost like a subplot point to kind of, for, yeah. for a me- it's a means to an end to force Corliss into demanding action. I think that's that's the bit that I, I took from it. Yeah. One thing that we also noticed early on was that six months has passed since episode one. And we've had a few you know, comments on, on Twitter, on Dragoncast underscore pod about, in fact, we'll, we'll play a clip now on, on the Twitter spaces earlier on uh, this morning. We had a, a listener who commented on on how not upset, but they were quite nervy that this story seems to have started halfway through the book Fire and Blood. This is what they had to say. You know, although it's um, prequel, it's different showrunners. I wondered exactly how much they would tie it to the previous show, but obviously using a variation of the title sequence gives it that feel straight away. You know, what I found, even though it's only one book, and whereas obviously a Song of Ice and Fire is what five, six books, I really thought that you you could get four or five seasons out of just this one book if they told the story at the pace of the first few Game of Thrones series because remember everything moves slowly in those and obviously and, and that's what made it so I thought that's what made it so gripping that, that you know we, we were unfolding in real time almost if they did the same for this book I don't know if anyone else has read the book I got the few, the, you could this could easily be four or five seasons worth it's strange that they um issue of succession which is what's gonna this up in two or something like that then things will move too fast again i'm already thinking ah bugger this is gonna at some point jump significantly forward so chris what do you think to that i mean i guess it has to leap forward in some distance otherwise the story is going to take a hell of a long time to develop and and it seems as though you know the heir to the throne is the key is the key kind of uh, catalyst to the whole unsettled nature of house of the dragon and if we were kind of still two days after viserys's wife and and son had died grief takes a long time to to progress and the last thing he wants to do is think about a successor what do you think to that? Is that are we going to see a lot of that this season? Yeah, I mean, yes, I think we will. I think there's going to be a lot of jumping around uh, forward, mainly. I mean, uh, in terms of why it's starting where it is, I think, I think the show they know what they're doing and they don't want to they don't want to take too long to get to the good stuff. And so I think they are having to be quite smart about which bits they adapt and how. And I also think, my understanding of the book is that the first half is the Targaryens conquering Westeros, which is like way, way before we are now. That in itself might end up being a different spin-off show, right? It's almost a bit like Let's not like get through stuff that we might need to do a different show for. But I also right. think this probably won't run as long as Game of Thrones, and so they do have to be a little bit more agile with what they're adapting. I do think when yeah. you jump forward and everyone looks the same, you have to rely on dialogue like, I haven't spoke to my dad in six months. You know, it's a bit like... Yeah, yeah. And yeah. having seen a couple of episodes ahead... There is a lot of that, and I find it really annoying because they're like, oh, has it really been 45 months since we, you know, and it's just like, 
awful expose, expository dialogue. But it has you have to do it. I think um, you have to do it in some way, don't you? Yeah. We're so used to a different pace of Game of Thrones, but yeah, it could be worse. We could see Viserys like sat there writing a diary, and then the pages start to to flicker and <laughs> flicker ahead yeah. like much. Yeah. Captain's log. <laughs> like we're doing something like lemony lemony snicket or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, we saw a couple of um, characters, you know, briefly touched upon in episode one, who seemed to be settling into the, to their roles quite well. Mainly, uh, mainly for Rhaenyra seems to be kind of gathering her posse of, of kind of trusted steeds or, or kind of men. So we had Harold Westerling, who we saw a little bit in episode one, who's the commander of the King's Guard, who was the guy that got kind of like when, when Rhaenyra started trying to stick her oar in in the, in the, in the board meeting in the, in the small council, was just like, maybe you want to take her for a bubble tea at the, the local <laughs> shopping mall. That might be, you know, <laughs> and she got kind of, she got kind of like sidetracked there. And then, then uh, Sir Kristen Cole, who was all, you know, the second you saw the kind of, the, the the kind of queue of, of of knights waiting to to kind of take your place you just that was like oh come on we know who it was going to be this is like yeah. she's gonna she's gonna choose the Oberyn of the, and he was right there I thought it was quite good that she I enjoyed the scene it was just like hang on a sec all the, it was a bit kind of like hang on a sec these fucking MPs all they've done is gone to Eton where's the ones that have like been a, been on the on the picket lines you know it was a bit like that wasn't it <laughs> which I quite enjoyed the tawny knights I love that term just ta- tournament knights I guess right yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, just they're just just showboaters. Where's the ones? Yeah. That, where's the ones where they got calluses on their fingers from the from? And we saw Kristen's relationship. I guess I guess further in cement. What do you think to that, Ricky? Are they going to be? And again, it's so difficult not to just keep kind of drawing comparisons or kind of comparing. There's a bit of Jamie and Brienne. There's a bit of you know. Th- yeah. There's a bit of Podrick, and you know, th- there's a whole thing going on there. But what did you make of that? They seem quite well suited. They do seem quite well suited. I think, obviously, he's a dashing looking young guy. That kind of it throws itself back to when, when we first meet Jamie Lannister and that kind of like that dashing hero type looking character. Um, but he's got a bit of spice about him as well. Uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't suffer fools gladly where he gave a bit to, to Damon when they met at Dragonstone. And, you know, I think Damon calls him Crispin rather than, rather than <laughs> Kristen. And, and then he, and then he's like, well, maybe you remember me. I knocked you off your horse at the tournament. So that was a nice moment yeah. it just goes to show that he's he's not gonna he's not he's probably gonna be around for a little while so we know that i think it's fair to say and he'll i'm looking forward to seeing season four Kristen, because at the moment he's kind of like he's a bit like uh Tyrion was where he's all kind of like dashing and clean he needs a big fuck off scar across his face <laughs> yeah. he needs a load of dragon shit on his on his armor as well he needs <laughs> yeah. he needs to, he needs the thousand yard stare he needs to have seen some stuff you know he's a bit fresh out of college at the moment what do you think chris yeah, agreed. I think like weirdly, like Jamie Lannister comparison, like the best thing to happen to him was getting hand chopped off. Like he became a little bit more complicated when he, you know, had a sort of midlife crisis. I mean, I, I think Kristen, very handsome man, but he needs to get uglied up a little bit before I can really invest in his character. <laughs> Let's lose an eye. Hopefully he loses an yeah, eye. Yeah, lose, lose an eye, get an ear, well, yeah. get an ear chopped off. Just, just go grey a bit, you know, get a bit, of, a bit of world experience, you know. Yeah, his first day at school, isn't it? The, the blazers are a little little bit too big. They've, they've got mum's hair cut. It's, you know, exactly, exactly. Um, and Harold Westerling, he just, it seems like a grisly old kind of fucker, doesn't he? In charge of everything, kind of, has been kind of appointed babysitter really of Rhaenyra he seemed like a good guy though it's difficult to tell it does seem like a 
a good stand-up solid guy, Chris Wright. Am I right in thinking that he has a Scottish accent, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. We, we don't dwell on accents. In, I don't think we dwell on accents too much in Game of Thrones, do we? <laughs> I just went so funny that you're like, yeah, and there's a Scottish guy here for some reason. Like, yeah, just there, just just right there, yeah. I know, like, not, even in, not even in, like, I don't need them to try and explain it. It's just so funny that it's like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. Scotsman here. It's all burly Scottish lumberjack. It's the, it's, the, it's the Sean Connery of Game of Thrones, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like Dav, you know, Davos in the last season is just a Geordie. <laughs> So yeah, Geordie, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The Onion Night, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the kind of standout scenes. Then there was, there were kind of two big takeouts for me. There was there were two things going on. There was the there was the Succession strand, and then there was the Damon strand, mm-hmm. and and obviously they're they're intertwined in many weird ways. But talking about Damon's kind of uh, section first, stealing the egg of Balon. Regardless of, you know, we can talk about Damon being a grey character. He thinks he's a good guy. He's not really a bad guy. He just wants what's right. That was a dick move. I mean, that was, he knew, it was not fucking about there, was he? He knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. What do we think to that, Ricky? I, I just reckon he's just, like I said earlier, he's just about chaos. He's just about causing drama for drama's sake. He knew that if he took the dragon's egg... He knew that, well, he went to Dragonstone anyway when he wasn't allowed to. He took the seat of Dragonstone, which is supposed to be Rhaenyra's, Rhaenyra's seat. So he's, <laughs> he's basically squatting there for six months or however long it is. So he knows he's like taking the piss there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then when he doesn't get a reaction, because obviously Viserys has let him stay there without any challenge, he's then right. What else can I do to try and, you know, stick two fingers up at these guys? So he goes and steals the dragon's egg that was supposed to be for, for Baylor, that, you know, he's dead, yeah. his dead nephew. So he knows exactly what he's doing and then you kind of see that he didn't really want all of that smoke when when uh Rhaenyra came anyway because he kind of just gave it up yeah. quite quite easily if he was really serious I reckon he would have like got Caraxes to like you know <laughs> just burn some burn some heads for, for a little bit but he didn't do that he just gave, gave it up quite easily I think they're quite clever in their use of dragons because you know ultimately it, theoretically, Damon could just wait for one of the other dra- all the other dragons to be asleep and just go and burn everything, yeah. and that's that's the end of House of the Dragon. But so they have to kind of they have to be quite tactful in their use because, as as I think Rainier is, or someone said towards the end of it, it's like doesn't matter what how tactful you are, and that, that we've got a dragon. And there's oh, it's, it's Corlys, isn't it? That's his big gripe about the whole thing. It's just like the only thing that stops the Valarians kind of like getting power is the fact that they didn't have dragons, yeah. which is true. They just fluked it. It's, it's, you know, they are the Windsors of, uh, of, of, of Westeros. They're just there because they just had a bigger weapon. Yeah. Chris, the interesting bit, what was Damon playing at? Because it was bullshitting because Masaria, she had no idea that he'd kind of like done this. She had no idea that she was supposedly getting married. She certainly had no idea she was pregnant. Um, and he got, he got, he got caught out very quickly. You know, Rainier was just like, and you're with child one day. I didn't say now, did yeah. I? I didn't, he, he did very quickly turn into David Brent at the quiz, didn't he? Just like, well, not strictly speaking, you know, if we're going to split hairs or split hairs, quite literally. Yeah, I thought like that, that had more plot twists than like an episode of Emmerdale. There was like wedding announcement. Oh, that was a sham. Fake pregnancy. Stolen egg. Gave it back. Two dragons. <laughs> it was just like drama. But yeah, I mean, Damon is just is is putting Damon first, uh, first at front and center. I do think though, like he was kind of saying, you know, when he had this confrontation on the bridge, 
I, if I have a son, he should get a dragon egg, and the dragon that was given to my nephew is is no longer needed because he died. He's kind of being awful, but he's got he's rooted in some sense of like there are some rules that he's trying to follow and some kind of rule book yeah. that he's playing yeah. to, and it's a lot of it is tradition, and he's like. When when will I be accepted as like one of you? Because I'm trying to like get what's mine. I mean, I do think it had elements when he was holding that very heavy looking egg. It just made me think of like Michael Jackson hanging his baby off the hotel balcony. Martin Bashir was just off camera, just kind of like <laughs> it's just brilliant. Do you want it? Catch it? I was like, no, you can't do that. But yeah, I mean, he's he literally does throw it at her, doesn't he? <laughs> just tosses it back. I enjoyed the and I loved the little uh, like incubator, like yes, hot so, yeah. kind of like Le, Cru- Le Crusette yeah. kind of like dragon egg incubator <laughs> yeah. they had it was lovely. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah, there's some spices and like a bit of garlic in there as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, one interesting thing and i don't know if it's a bit of foreshadowing or or what i thought that scene i thought millie and um and matt smith were, were brilliant in that in that standoff i love it when they delve into their valerian kind of secret talk like almost like twins like developing their own weird language so no one else can hear them there was a moment and i don't know if anyone else picked up on it where damon's talking about succession and, and trying to find a bride and, to, and rainier just says I'm right here, Uncle. Yeah. And I thought, ah, oh, hang on a sec. Yeah. We know that they like to keep it close. <laughs> we know. Was, what do we think? Was that, was that a little bit kind of unintentional? Like, come and get me, hot boy. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I, that was the thing that I took away from it the most as well. I thought that scene, even though there were dragons in it and there was the standoff with Otto Hightower and, you know, all of, all of, all of that and the gold cloaks and whatnot, that moment was what I took away thinking, you know, these two, they've, got a torch for each other and there's there's a deeper connection between them she can kind of calm him down she can kind of like you know put him back on the straight and narrow he's never going to go against her because really they could have just gone hammer and tongs with both of their dragons at that point but he's like you know you're younger than me but we're family we've probably got a history to make together a bit further down the line so whatever happens i'm, I'm never going to hurt you if that if that makes sense the dragons arriving at that was just great you know the um with Cyrax appearing out of the smoke was just like brilliant was 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 great wasn't it it's what do you think to that chris do you think that they're they're starting to there's a bit of subtext going on there where they're, they're starting to see the similarities in each other and yeah. and maybe drawing towards each other well i think generally like and this is the as a show is just so much hornier than game of thrones like everyone in this show is quite like <laughs> just hitting on everyone and i even thought like allison and rainier in last episode there was a bit of like sapphic sisterhood going yeah. on and it's it's constant yeah. oh with the the kind of like there was a the, with, Sort of the hug behind her and yeah, that, yeah laying a lot reading and like oh, I thought that too. It's a, I just think there is a real like sexual charge to it in a way that and it's kind of obviously awful because like most of them are children. But like in Game of Thrones, it was all very like Jon Snow being like, oh, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do down there. And these lot are just like, nah, we've literally read the Calm Sutra, we know what we're doing. But um, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think she, I think Rhaenyra sees her dad as being a bit useless. And I think she sees her uncle as having that fire in his belly. And even if he is a bit of a, a chaos agent, he does it with quite a lot of conviction, which her dad doesn't have. And I just think she's drawn to that in as a sort of mentor, as an uncle, but also, yeah, I mean, they, they're going to, they, surely they're going to pair off to sort of fight the, 
the um, Viserys and Alison sort of partnership. I guess let's touch upon it now. My favourite, my favourite, favourite moment, and it was just like a split second moment, uh, was at the end, was, was, was where Viserys announced Alicent as his queen. Rhaenyra just did this, she just preempted it by about three seconds, didn't she? And yeah. just looked from her dad to her best mate and was just like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. And it was just such a well-acted moment, proper goosebumps. There was fury in her face. It was brilliant. I love that. And I think that's, I think you're absolutely right, Chris. That's, that's, I think we can probably call that now is that niece and uncle are going to bump <laughs> uglies and go against best friend and dad. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Talk about Viserys. Before we get on to nonskate, um, as, I, as I'm going to, going to call it. Um, oh God. <laughs> Viserys is not well. Uh, you know, we didn't see the we didn't see the the back the the sore on the back, but what we did see was quite interesting. Was the finger that that, that got that tiniest of a nick uh, from from the the throne uh, in the week before is now it's now got gang it's now gangrenous. It's being treated by maggots, and they're just trying to save the save it from rotting flesh. I love that mythology that the throne will eventually eat you. And we talked touched upon it a bit. What do we think's wrong with Viserys? Has he got? Is it just the pox? Is it something is slightly more mythical? What do you think, uh, Chris? Um, I think it's. I think we sort of touched on this a little bit last episode, but I think it's just he's dying, kind of slowly dying, decaying. Maybe is a bit of a more apt term, and it's just not getting better. And I think he, yeah, it's just. I think it's just being used as a way to signal how how inept he is. Um, and it's not his fault, but you know, the throne is designed to be uncomfortable so that people don't get complacent. He sits on it a lot. He's always getting cut on it. And as we've seen, like you know, last week. Didn't they sort of take a sa- they were like we're going to send this sample to like the citadel as if they have like a like a lab there where they can sort of test a centrifuge it. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah they sort of like look at it in a test tube and I didn't, so they did that and it's obviously nothing not conclusive yeah I think just it's just a clever way to show him falling apart a little bit I'm sure it'll get even worse. It does seem to, you know, it's so, so subtle as well and testament to Paddy's acting is that even in, even by episode two, you can still, even what, six months since since episode two, mm. he does seem slightly more jaded yeah, and yeah. knackered and fed up and which does lead us into what was, I think, a very deftly handled section of the show, which I am crowning nonskate um, <laughs> because it was, because it, it was deeply uncomfortable. It was a bit kind of like, hang on a sec, so uncomfortable and and it, i think it shows how far the writing of game of thrones has, has moved on because if this was previous series it would have just done it and not really referenced the fact that it was slightly ropey there would have just been belligerently kind of like well that's just how it was yeah. there was that that's how it was and whereas now they were clearly addressing uh the nonce in the room which was the, the, hang on a second <laughs> this girl's 12 years old you can't you know this is and and paddy you know king viserys was the viewer throughout that where he was just kind of wincing his way through it he understood that this is just how things are but couldn't make that leap and and it also I think it showed the queen that never was, you know, her kind of like sadness of her having to kind of basically throw a daughter to this grandfather figure just purely to, to for, for political gain. What did you think to it, Ricky? It was, I thought it was pretty well done, but also kind of like, oh my God, this actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really uncomfortable to watch. Obviously we know, we know that it's, you know, these things may have happened hundreds of years ago and whatnot. Um, but you're right. It, they, the way that they dealt with it was very, very clever. And they made sure that the, us as the viewer 
knew that Viserys wasn't comfortable with that. And uh, they, they yeah. highlight it really, really well. And even the point where I think it was uh, Lady Lena says she, she gives that speech about, you know, you know, it'd be great to join the houses. And he turns to her and says, oh, is that, is that what your dad told you to say? She's like, yes. And then he said, what did your mom say? And she's like, oh, the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to bed you until I was, until I was 14. So that just makes it hit home that this is really, really terrible. It shouldn't happen. And then it just, points completely towards Alison at that point, doesn't it? We know that he's going to go that way. Yeah. Who, who thankfully is, you know, is a right, you know, an ancient 14. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Funny enough, listener Ben was watching and, and got in touch on Twitter spaces and had something to say about that. So have a listen to this. It's got the political intrigue, which made the original Game of Thrones you know, fantastic, and that and that and that political intrigue that started to come to the fore. Then, obviously, with the with the the whole um, issue of succession, which is what's going to you know form the basis of, of, the, of the whole thing. Really, is is uh, is who comes onto the Iron Throne. Right, don't go anywhere. We're going to go for a quick word uh, with our sponsors, but there is plenty more to discuss. Not least, Otto Hightower. See you in a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Dragoncast, uh, episode three of Dragoncast, but discussing, confusingly, episode two of House of the Dragon. Uh, joining me is Chris Mandel and uh, Ricky. Uh, now, I want to talk about Otto Hightower because there, were, there was lots going on in the episode, but I think at the centre of almost all of it was Otto Hightower, someone who I think, who I thought at episode one was a kind of good guy, was a kind of slightly, kind of was always on the side of Viserys. But after the end of episode two, I'm not quite so sure. But listeners, you may be wondering, who the hell are the Hightowers? Well, it's time for a wisdom to take you a bit deeper into the legend of House Hightower. So House Hightower is among the oldest and wealthiest of the great houses, with most scholars believing they descend from the first men. They possess a Valyrian steel sword called Vigilance, but prefer trade over war. It's also been rumoured that some Hightowers have dabbled in alchemy and necromancy. Uh, their seat is the High Tower in the city of Old Town. Their sigil is a white stone watchtower with a flame on top, and their motto is "We light the way." During its early days, Old Town was threatened and sacked many times, including by the kings of the Reach, House Gardener of High Garden. The High Towers raised strong walls and high towers to keep invaders out. Old Town was eventually brought into the realm of the gardeners by marriage when the sea lion, King Lyman Hightower, wed the daughter of King Garland Gardener II. Goodness me. Protected by the might of High Garden, the High Towers focused on commerce and grew with every generation to become one of the most powerful families in Westeros. They were one of the first great lords to accept the faith of the Seven and support the establishment of the office of High Septon. Now, when Aegon the Conqueror arrived at Old Town on Dragonback, rather than resist, Lord Manfred Hightower opened his gates, and the High Septon anointed Aegon and acknowledged his right to rule all of the Seven Kingdoms. 
The ties between House Hightower and House Targaryen were solidified when Lord Manfred's daughter Cerise Hightower was wed to Maegor the Cruel in 25 AC. These close links have remained up until now, where we find Otto Hightower and his daughter Alicent in the inner circle of King Viserys. But where the Hightower's loyalties will ultimately lay is, for the moment at least, uncertain. I hope you are both listening because I will be testing you on the very specific <laughs> facts about that towards the end of the episode. Right, very quickly, after the end of episode two, Chris, one word, friend or foe? Otto Hightower, friend or foe? Friend, that's my hot take. <laughs> oh, Ricky, friend or foe? Foe. Oh, okay, right, good. Thank God for that. <laughs> so what's he playing at? He's been very keen on two things. One, He's been very keen on a few things. One is to, he clearly has beef with Damon that goes back a long way and despises him and has done everything he can to wind him up. And then secondly, he has played a really clever game in um, well, basically becoming uh, Viserys' father-in-law <laughs> as well as, um, God, the family trees are crazy, aren't they? Father-in-law as well as Hand of the King. Has, this, has, he, has he had this in mind all along, do you think, Chris? Or is this is he just kind of like, did he just see an opportunity and ran with it? I don't think he had it in mind a long time, but in the first episode, very soon after Viserys' wife died, Otto was like, why don't you go and hang out with him, wear one of your mother's dresses... <laughs> Very strange Whoa. thing to say to like a fifteen-year-old. You know, he's like, I've got a bottle of a number five on the dresser. Like, just take that with you. You know, like I he, take some Lamborghini with you. But I think like uh, the reason I think he's a friend is is that is that he is doing. He, everyone does stuff in their own interests, right? And it is in his interest to get his daughter kind of as a queen on the throne as a mother of the future king. But yeah, I think he's. I think he just thinks that all the other opportunities are having more Targaryens wed each other, uh, or having House Valerian involved. And I just don't think he feels that that would be beneficial for his standing. He's a hand. He's the second in command. But it's a pretty shaky job, you know. So the better thing to do is to sort of plant Alison there, and sort of if she's there, then he's fine. And it's kind of just thinking of it that way, I suppose. What do you think, Ricky? Why? Why is it, you think you think is 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 going all in? I think he's faux simply just because, you know, it's not a very learned uh, op- opinion. It's just basically based on the fact that he reminds me of Littlefinger. <laughs> I just get real Littlefinger vibes from him, and the way that he goes about his work, and the way that he goes about kind of just moving the chess pieces with you know two or three moves in mind, like ahead of himself, if that makes sense. You know, you could kind of see his brain working with getting Alison to go to see Becerra, like Chris was saying. Wear the dress, wear one of your mother's dresses and whatnot. And then there's that that scene where he's getting ready to go to to, to Dragonstone and she's kind of like putting on on his chainmail and whatnot. And then he's like, oh, what's, what are you doing with your fingers? You know, you make sure you go and see the, the, yeah. the king tonight. You're going to go and see him. He's really trying to push that narrative. I was watching it with my partner and she was like, he's, is he kind of like sending her to go and like do the, do the deed? And I was like, I don't think he's doing that, but I think he's just trying to cement that relationship, trying to grow that relationship so that when it comes to the point where the king has to choose that he's already got that back catalog of emotion and, and kind of narrative with her so that he chooses her over whoever 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 else is you know put to the fore which is what happens with you know prince uh, lord lady lena i should say 
I got the I got the feeling off off camera. It was Otto that repaired the the dragon kind of little statuette. I think it was probably him that got the airfix out right, and yeah. and kind of like he's like right. I'll fix this. Take this to him. Yeah. I love that kind of like. I mean, it, of all the things that spend all your time on, his like little model railway kind of room is <laughs> is great, isn't it? It's brilliant. He's gonna have to paint. He's gonna have to paint that one day though. It's very <laughs> monochrome. You know that needs yeah. it needs some needs some light and shade there. It needs some depth. <laughs> <laughs> Any model railway enthusiast would be like, oh, I've got some of that sponge that looks like bushes. He needs a bit of that to kind yeah. of put around. <laughs> a few cotton wool balls as sheep, you know, just sort of dusted around. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But I thought, though, like, I do think, I know that, like, it, her, like, you know, going to his room and everything is a bit gross because she's so young. But, like, she's taken an interest and she's been, like, getting to know him for, like, a long time and it, they, they clearly have like a some sort of connection that he didn't think with Lena was going to be there because yeah yeah oh, 100% and she's not innocent in the whole thing either is she you know she it definitely feels like she saw a, a bit of a, an opportunity and and thought actually I could be in with a shout here you know she doesn't yeah. seem she doesn't seem coerced in any way does she no she seems like she knows no. She knows what the what the task is at hand. I think there was a scene in the first episode where she was chatting to uh, Rhaenyra and Rhaenyra's kind of like, kind of, you know, I think they're in the garden and Rhaenyra's not taking things seriously. She's like, take this seriously. This is like, this is serious stuff. So she really takes being at court and around court, like really, really yeah. seriously. She really wants to do it, do it well. So I think when this opportunity arose, she's going to grab it with both hands, <laughs> literally. Absolutely. Literally, Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> do you think she is think she's a wolf in sheep's clothing then do you think there's she's she comes across as very kind of doe-eyed and who me sir which doesn't seem as though that's the whole story does it what do you think chris is she gonna is she gonna become a bit of a bit of a tough cookie um so i think what's really interesting is the high towers aren't on that they've never been in in power and i think they are so close to getting it and i think once they get it they're not if they get it they're not going to let go and we're about to see a lot of different people wanting the throne and I think she will be a little bit more ferocious than we necessarily think maybe as she gets older like we know she's played by uh, Olivia Cook later in the show I think we'll see a different side to her yeah. you know none of them it's it kind of funny but none of them are really talking about like how they want to like rule effectively it's all principled like no I would like to do it actually I don't know what the job <laughs> entails but I would like to do it instead of anyone else I think she's a yeah a force to be reckoned with they're both very politically savvy her and her father I think they're very politically savvy, and I don't think you can say that about King Viserys. And I think uh, the Valerians are almost too, like, they want it too badly, and they're sort of stampeding around the place. I think the Hightowers are, Ricky compared um, Otto to Littlefinger, which I think is a good comparison. They're, they're really playing this like a game of chess. One thing that I'm curious about is Viserys' decision, you know, why he made that you know aside from the age thing which clearly bothered him he is and and it's damon made the the statement didn't he? he's, he's really bad at being king and actually he is really really bad at being king because on paper he should absolutely have gone with corliss's daughter and and rainey's daughter so i'm curious as to what you th why you think he didn't was it purely that he just fancied Alison? Was it Was it that he felt that there was a genuine connection there and he went for heart over overhead because I think, you know, clearly that decision is what's going to set the, the dominoes uh, falling because he immediately alienated 
his daughter. He immediately alienated Corliss and his, you know, and, and his cousin, Rainey's. Why the hell would he have done that? He's, he doesn't seem daft. He seems pretty switched on. We'll play this clip from Craig, who hopped on the Twitter spaces this morning, who said pretty much that as well. It was what he had to say about Viserys. He's not well, is he, Viserys? He's definitely not well. He's not a good king, is he? And I feel like they was going to try and pitch it as though he was a good king. Maybe he was just too good a person. But I think that was such a mistake that he made in today's episode. I don't think, I mean, the kid was like 12. She's obviously not marryable. But I think he could have gone about it in a, in a much better way than he did. That was at the, at the council meeting, that was obviously the first time that anybody knew that he was intending to marry Alison instead. And I feel like the mistake wasn't not accepting the proposal by the sea snake, but perhaps going about it in a way that he did, where he kind of dropped that clangor in the middle of that meeting. Perhaps there was a more political way. It's like he doesn't know how to play the game, does he? Chris, <laughs> Ricky, what do you think? Is he just not fit for rule? Well, just going back to quick what you what you were saying, is it heart overhead, the fact that he chose Alison? I think it totally is heart overhead, simply because there was that scene where he was talking to Alison and then he asks her if if Alison has been speaking to Rhaenyra about their, you know, their little kind of, you know, meetups and meet and greets, as it were. And he says, maybe don't tell her, she's she's not gonna understand. So he already knows that he's going down a path that probably isn't going to be seen well by his daughter. Uh, he's probably thinking to himself, I'm starting to have feelings for this person, but I don't really want it to come out in the open just yet. Let me explore it a bit more and see what, what happens. So I think he knows what he's doing. So I, I totally believe that it is heart overhead. With regards to him being a bad king, I don't think he's a bad king. I think he, he has, he's got good morals. I think when he, at the end of the first episode, where he's speaking to Rhaenyra about, you know, what, what do you see when you see the dragons? What do you think of? And he's, he's trying to get that message across. This is something that, you know, you really need, need to understand. I think you can kind of see that he's morally strong. He's got good morals. You can kind of see when he chats to Damon about a lot of stuff that he's, his moral compass is sound. However, the way that he goes about his, his work is quite weak. It's a bit wishy-washy, isn't it? So people can take advantage of him. And I think Damon even says everyone on the small council is only there because they know that you're weak and that, you know, they can get whatever they want from you. So he's not a very good king in terms of action, but he's morally sound. Chris? I agree completely with what Ricky just said. He's not, he's ineffective, but he's not a bad person. I, one, one of the things I thought when I watched this episode in terms of why he chose Alison is if Lena is that young, there is, and bear in mind no one knows about his poor health, there is a possibility he would die before she's able to bear a child. And I think that was yeah. a good point. Like, he, the whole, and they don't, no one knows that he's like rotting away from the inside. And so I think that's a big problem that he can't divulge because if he tells his cousin, uh, Rainice, oh yeah, I'm actually really ill then she's going to like capitalise on that and try and get him out of the way. And, and so I think that's a big part of it also. But when they had that conversation on Driftmark, she was at, I thought she was that little child was asking a lot of questions about his dragons. And there was reference yeah. to this dragon that had kind of gone missing. She said, oh, we can hear it sometimes because it's across the narrow sea. And I think, was it Ve oh, Vega? Um, Vega, Vega. Vega. So that was, um, that was, that was Viserys's dragon, wasn't it? Who got so big. Valerian the Dread. Viserys is the one that died. Viserys is the one that yeah. died. But this right. is oh, one that's of the, the big. Yeah. 
This is uh, like sibling, one of the dragons that was used to conquer Westeros back in the day from Aegon the Conqueror. It's, really, it's like literally the size of like a, you know, jumbo jet. And it flew off and they don't know where it is. And she was asking like, do you know where, it, like, where is it? Like, where, where is it? And I think that's her family being like, we want to find this fucking dragon. We need to find out where it is. And I yeah. think... I it's think Vicen- it's, Vicen- it's Vicenia's dragon. Oh, it was okay. Vicenia's dragon. Right, right, Vicenia's right, right, right. dragon. Okay. So I think that whole conversation threw him a bit because this child, her parents have kind of gone, yeah, just ask this, ask this, ask this, get back and we'll take notes. I think it felt, felt very threatened by that. And I think Alison, it does not mm. pose a threat to him in the same way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that was that's a great well remembered because that that bit in there was um a good bit of foreshadowing, wasn't yeah. it? It's was kind of like, oh, there's this there's this. So hang on a sec. When we're talking about Dance of the Dragons and kind of like dragons owning all the power, there is this mythical thing that could literally just come in and just knock seven yeah. bells and merry shit out of all of your little <laughs> dragons. Visenya, for those wondering, was was Aegon's sister's sister wife. Sister wife. So that's yeah. like yeah so quite an old dragon as well sister wife yeah (laughs) um i was also going to say just as a sort of dragon watch uh you know keeping tabs rainice i believe does have a dragon herself because she obviously is a targaryen uh called as his wife the queen that never was i think she's got one and they have a few on driftmark i think yeah yeah there's a shit ton of them to duke out at some point so if any if any Targaryens can can ride dragons, presumably the daughter that that, that Viserys spurned uh, would would be able to ride a dragon herself. Yeah, yeah. That's why I wondered why she's asking where it I is. Maybe that. she wants it. <laughs> oh, imagine that! The second queen that never was takes over the child riding a takes over the biggest kind of yeah, amazing. Question uh, again, knee jerk. How long is Otto for this world? Do you think Otto's going to stick around or is someone going to off him pretty quickly, Chris? Ooh, that is a good question. I think he'll be around for a while. Uh, I think he'll be around for a bit. I think he's smart. Ricky, what do you think? Yeah, 100% agree. I think Otto's in it for the long haul. I think he's got a lot of uh, chess pieces to put in place and a lot of plot twists to kind of be the main protagonist with regards to, you know, things that are going to happen. I think he's going to have a, a, a big say in, in where the narrative goes in, in, this, in this show. Right, what we're going to do now is we're all about to watch the teaser for episode three of House of the Dragon and see what little pieces of information we can glean from it. Have a listen to this. The road ahead is uncertain, but the end is clear. Aegon will be king. He's the firstborn son of the king. You will be with your own child sooner than later. I do not wish to get married. Even I do not exist above tradition and duty, Rhaenyra. None of it needs be this way in truth. No one's here for me. Princess! The crab leader has dug in for siege on Bloodstone while his men sabotage our fleet. The matter of the Stepstones is, regrettably, urgent. Yeah! Crabs will soon dine on all of us. We are losing. Dragon! Brilliant. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's all kicking off. It's all kicking off. <laughs> Initial reaction to that, Chris? Uh, just, they are, I mean, first of all, 
Alison's already had a child, so we've got another another step forward. <laughs> yeah, Boris. She's given birth. To, she's given birth to Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Aegon, the classic Westerosi name. So real, like he's obviously going to be the future king. So we've got this succession challenge established by episode three, and also that amazing looking fight uh, with the. Yeah. Mr. Crab Man or whatever he's called with the dragons. This just looks incredible. I don't think it's he's not named after the guy that turns up at the pub quizzes with some fish sticks, mate. Yeah. I think he's a bit he's a bit more serious than that. <laughs> what is he called the crab what is he called? The crab collector. Crab feeder. Crab feeder. Crab feeder. Crab feeder. Crab feeder. Yeah, yeah. I love the opening line, the road ahead is uncertain, but the end is clear. I mean that's just that's that's George R. R. Martin's just remit for anyone getting involved in writing Game of Thrones, isn't it? It's like yeah. we know how it ends. We know <laughs> Uh, Ricky, what did you think? It looks phenomenal. It looks absolutely phenomenal. I mean, uh, it was a bit of a surprise to see that uh, <laughs> that Egon was already about four years old, maybe three or four. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that aside, it, lo- it looks so, so good. And you can obviously see, you know, that the pathway that we're, that we're going down, but also throwing um, yeah. and Damon Targaryen in there as well. He looks like he's going to have like a good old battle uh, against the crab feeder and maybe like, you know, pour himself in some glory or, or whatnot. So, well, we'll see. Yeah, we saw, we saw a dragon swoop onto the beach in the distance didn't we and then then damon looking right in the thick of it uh it it looks fantastic cannot wait uh to see what happens there see if alison continues her transformation into kate middleton uh to see if it was indeed uh boris johnson uh that that she'd given birth to uh but and and i i have to confess i have had a sneak peek of episode three and if you're if you're a fan of twitter and of funny people of twitter watch out for a cameo uh, in episode three, because there is one of my favourite comedians Ooh, on Twitter, really, who is an act, who is an actor who got a bit of a break, and uh, and I spoke to them uh, a couple of days ago, and they were so excited, they had no idea even if their scene had made the uh, had made the final cut. So we're delighted when 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 they heard that it had. Uh, so watch out for that. That's all I'll say. I thought you were implying that you were making a cameo, and I was like. Oh my god! Like, that would have been oh amazing. god! Holy shit! Do you think I would have told? Do you think I would have been able to keep that secret? I'm the worst person to give a cameo to on anything. I'd have been, I'd, I'd have been selfie them. sticks. I would have been the guy with the water bottle in the side of the camera shot. It would have been a disaster. I've seen the non-disclosures that HBO make us sign. They are watertight, so. Yeah, I wouldn't put it They're brutal. They're brutal. <laughs> uh, well, listen, uh, Ricky, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, has the air to your throne arrived yet? Not yet. We're about a week away. So soon, very, very Fantastic. soon. The bloodline continues. Amazing. Well, good luck to you, buddy. You, and, uh, and, and you can catch Ricky on Radio 1 pretty much all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and Chris, uh, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Chris underscore Mandel, uh, Instagram Chris Mandel one, and that's and it. here as well. Here every <laughs> and week. here. here also, I'm going to I'm going to come on the Twitter Spaces next week and talk about it. Yeah. Brilliant. That'll be great. Lovely stuff. That'll be fab. So do join us next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, obviously, blah, 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 blah. Share, like, subscribe. The things that every podcaster or YouTuber is legally obliged to say at the end of every video ever. Uh, help us uh, maintain our number one spot. You know, commode is the daemon to my Viserys. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Coming for you. <laughs> Until then, thank you so much for listening to Dragoncast, home of House of the Dragon. See you later. Don't forget House of the Dragon airs exclusively on Sky Atlantic at 2am every Monday, then repeats that same evening at 10. 
You can also get it on demand via now. If you'd like to get involved in the podcast, just head over to Twitter at DragonCast underscore pod or email DragonCast at DaftDoris.com and leave us your Easter eggs, predictions and thoughts on the show. You can also watch this episode over on our YouTube channel. Just search for DragonCast Jamie East. Any support, whether it's a follow, a share, a mention to your friend on the bus or a tattoo on your backside is very much appreciated. DragonCast is hosted by me, Jamie East, along with Chris Mandel, produced by Connor Driscoll, edited by Buddy Peace, and is a Daft Doris production. Dracaris. Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.